that I hope you're enjoying and, and getting a lot out of this series that we're doing on well-being. Uh, and in this series, we're looking at our lives like a dashboard with these six interrelated fuel gauges that represent key areas of our lives that can contribute to or can indeed diminish our overall sense of well-being. So we've looked already at our physical, our emotional, spiritual and relational well-being. And then in a couple of weeks time, we'll come to vocational well-being. But today our focus is financial well-being. And this is a really, really important area. I mean, I guess we all know how much stress can be caused by finances and all the more for many people at this time. You know, this is something that can impact your sleep. It can impact you emotionally and mentally, relationally. It's the cause of breakdown in many marriages. And as we'll see today, it is also a deeply spiritual issue. Whether you have lots of money or whether you have no money, it's a spiritual issue. God has a plan for your well-being, and that includes financial well-being and peace. Which, by the way, please Please hear this. Saying that is not the same thing as saying that God wants to make you wealthy. No, that is not the point. You can know financial peace with very little and you can know great financial stress with great abundance. But what we see in the story of Elijah, which is it's the story that has been the kind of foundation for this series, and we're coming back to it each week. Through his story, we see God's provision. So the story of Elijah is set in an economic crisis. There's drought in the land, and that is disastrous uh, for, for the land of Israel. It's pretty bleak. It's a, it's a terrible situation. But throughout the story of Elijah, we see God providing for Elijah and for others. We see God providing what is needed time and time again. And that is the confidence that we have as Christians that we have a father who provides for our needs and who wants us to live in freedom. Now, of course, there are lots of practical things that we could talk about when talking about financial well-being. You know, we could talk about budgeting and saving and how you manage debt. They're all really, really important things. And uh, at the end of today's meeting, Neil will let you know how we can help if you're struggling with debt or if you want help with budgeting and managing money uh, through our work with Christians Against Poverty. So we'll talk to you about that a bit later, but but I want to focus today on the deeper heart issue that is at play here when it comes to money. And if you've done our chapter one discipleship course, you'll have heard me talk about this before. But if we don't get our heart right on this, well, you know what? No matter how well you budget, no matter how much money you have, you won't know true financial peace and well-being. Jesus talked about money a lot. He talked about money, uh, materialism, possessions. He talked about that more than any other topic, more than prayer, more than healing, more than anything else. Because while there are many differences between our world and the world in biblical times, there are some principles that never change. And it has always, always been the case that materialism, that the love of money, the love of possessions, materialism is a powerful force that can grip our hearts. Again, whether you have very little or whether you have much. Jesus knows just how easily we can be entrapped by the love of money. We can become a slave to it. So uh, personal confession time here. I distinctly remember an occasion. It was in my first year at university. I was at the University of Bath. This was quite a long time ago now. 
Uh, and I had done pretty well, actually, through that first year at managing money. I'd been pretty careful. And I'd, unlike many of my friends, I'd managed to not be overdrawn. But one day, it was in the summer, I was in Bristol nearby with, with some friends. We were looking around the shops. And I saw this pair of trainers in a shop window. It was a, it was a pair of kickers pumps, as I recall. And for whatever reason, I thought those trainers belong on my feet. You know, I need to have those trainers. And it was, it was kind of like something took hold of me. I, I was almost uh, lusting after these trainers. Now, I knew that I didn't have enough money in my bank account to be able to afford those trainers. But I also knew that as a student, I could have a free overdraft. So what did I do? I went in and I bought the trainers. And that was the first time that I went overdrawn in my life. And I was then overdrawn and increasingly so for the rest of my student life. And it was kind of like crossing a threshold in the grip of materialism. Now, that's a small example, isn't it? But, but we see it all around us on a, a far bigger scale with the obsession with having the, the right clothes, the right house, car, holidays. And many people, and you know, I know there are lots of complex reasons why people get into debt, and, and often it's things out of their control. But many people getting into terrible debt to have all of those things, to live a lifestyle that they can't afford. I don't know, maybe that's you. So this really is first and foremost a heart issue. Financial well-being and peace is a heart issue. So we're going to look at a couple of passages in the New Testament. So first of all is this parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25. And I'm going to read from verse 14. And uh, he says this, There was a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth. And by the way, in, in this parable, the man represents God. And the servants represent us. So the man is God, the servants represent us. So man going on a journey, called his servants, entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. And so also the one with two bags of gold, he gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And uh, well, it all goes very wrong from there for that particular servant. 
Now, there's something that we need to spot right at the start of that parable that is absolutely crucial to how we think about money. So remember, the man in the parable is God and we are the servants. And so right at the start, verse 14, it says, there was a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. God is the owner. We are the servants. Or another word the Bible uses is stewards. We are stewards of the resources that God gives us to manage. But the crucial point is that everything is his. Everything is his. That's what Jesus is saying. And there are other passages in the Bible that very clearly teach that as well. Everything belongs to God. It's not your money. Now, they really understood this. They got this in the early church. So in Acts 4, it says that no one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. They they shared everything they had. And the principle at work here is that God is generous to us and he makes us stewards of our lives and the resources that he chooses to give us so that we can also be generous in what we give away. And I think that generosity is an absolute key to knowing financial well-being and peace. But it is so vital that we get this principle of ownership right in our hearts and also in our thinking that we get ownership right in order to be generous with possessions and with money because we're born selfish. And I think we all know that's true. You know, you, you don't have to teach young children to be selfish. You know, no one ever took their child uh, to a child psychologist saying, you know, I'm a bit concerned. He, he just shares things a bit too much. And I want to teach him to be a bit more selfish. No, no one's ever done that. You don't have to teach young children to say their favorite word, mine, which is probably one of the first words they use shortly after learning how to say no. Mine, it's mine. And, you know, that's not something we naturally grow out of either. Clinging on to possessions, clinging on to money. We would tend to think, it's my money. It's mine. I earned that money. But then who gave you the ability to earn it in the first place? Now, Jesus' teaching is very clear. It's not your money. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's all his. It's all a gift. Everything you have is a gift. And you have the responsibility to use it well, to use it in the way the owner wants you to use it, which is to be generous. But our ability to grasp that will really come down to how you view God. So what did that third servant say to the master in the parable? He said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. And so I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. And I wonder, is that how you view God? Scary, mean, stingy, you know, he just just wants to destroy your fun and withhold good things from you. Or do you see him as a loving father who, who wants the very best for you? Do you see him as someone who is abundantly and lavishly generous with you? The one who says to the first two servants, well done, well done. Come and share your master's happiness. And so the heart issue at stake here is whether you see God as a giver or a taker. And the heart that sees God as a taker sees him as just constantly making demands on you, draining you. Do this, live like that, follow the rules, give money to the church or else or else. And if you see God like that, if you see God as a taker, you're probably someone who wants to hold back and who prefers not to think of how much you can give, but how much you can keep hold of. But the heart that sees God as a giver 
That's a heart that rejoices in a relationship with God and readily receives God's grace and and sees God as a, a bountiful, abundant, inexhaustible provider and helper and blesser, the one who gave everything for you, the one who gave himself on a cross as the most sacrificial, the most generous gift ever given. And the heart that sees God like that, the heart that sees God as a giver, that's a heart that wants to give joyfully and to share as much as possible rather than looking to keep hold of as much as possible. And, you know, it's a bit like the difference between jugs and glasses. OK, I've got a jug and a glass. And you see, with a glass, a certain amount gets poured in to a glass and it's consumed by you. But a jug is different. A jug has water poured into it in order to be poured out again into other things. You see, the jug is not the end point. It's not the final destination of those resources. So are you a jug or are you a glass? Is everything you have for you to be consumed by you or is it to be shared and poured out, even though you may have very little to start with? Are you a jug? Or are you a glass? And I tell you something, it will be those who see themselves as jugs who will know a far, far greater degree of financial peace and well-being. People who receive what is given with gratitude, however much it is or however little it is. People who are open handed in how they share what they have. How we use whatever money and resources we have, some have more, some have less. It all comes down to how you view God. Do you see God as a giver or a taker? Do you see him like the third servant, hard, mean, stingy, demanding, or like the first two servants as someone who's generous and abundant and joyful? Do you love God or do you love money? Because you can't do both. Now, let's have a look at another passage in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 6, 17. So this is what it says in, in there. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, and he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He richly provides everything for our enjoyment. It's not even just what we need, but it's things for our enjoyment as well. Now, I guess it's easy to hear a line like, you know, command those who are rich in this present world and assume that's directed at somebody else. You know, that can't be directed at me. I'm not rich. You know, if you live in High Wycombe, well, that's directed at people who live in Gerard's Cross. But let me ask you this. When you got up this morning and you got dressed, did you have a choice of what shirt to wear or what shoes to put on? Did you have a choice of what to have for breakfast? Because if you have options like that, then the vast majority of the world would say you are rich. You are rich. If you slept in a bed, if you slept in a house, you are rich in this present world. Now, of course, you can always point to someone who has more and think, well, you know, if I just had that, that amount of money, well, then I would be okay. But everybody always wants more. No matter how much you have, it's always about wanting more. The world is set up to convince you that you need more all the time. You you need these products. You need this brand. You need this type of car. You need a house like this. You need this kind of holiday or this experience in order to be happy. But if your hope is in wealth, you will never have enough because what is enough? And then one day you'll die and you can't take any of it with you anyway. 
putting a hope in wealth and accumulating as much as you can will not ultimately lead you to financial well-being and peace. You know, what Paul is writing to Timothy is to not put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. You know, don't kid yourself that having money and having possessions is going to bring you peace and security. No, instead, put your hope in God who is a father who loves you and who wants to provide you with everything for your enjoyment. And when we trust God as the owner, then we become faithful stewards and we become generous with the resources he's provided. Now, Paul goes on to say this to Timothy in verse 18 and 19. He says, command them, those who are rich in this present world, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And then in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, when you think eternally and you put your trust in an eternal and loving God, then you will want to invest in eternal things. And you will be generous. You'll be willing to share. You'll be willing to give away to God's work, to give generously. By the way, that's why we encourage people to give generously to the church. It's not so we can pay ourselves more. It's because we're all about investing in eternal things. You know, we want as many people as possible in this town and beyond to spend eternity with God. And so we want to fund ministries that are going to help that. And we want to help the poorest, the most vulnerable, the most marginalized in our town, the homeless, those who are in debt, the sex workers, those who are struggling with addiction. And not just help materially to make this life better. We want to do that as well. But to introduce people to Jesus and to a loving father who loves them eternally. And so we want to invest in those ministries. We want to see people changed, ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. That's why we encourage people to give generously to the work of the church, as well as to be generous in all areas of life. And actually what Paul is saying to Timothy is that when we do that, when we are generous and willing to share, that brings life that is truly life. Our world has it the other way around. You've you've got to earn more. You've got to have more to find happiness and joy. God says, no, no, that is the path to misery. Generosity is what will bring life and joy and purpose and freedom, freedom from the grip of materialism. And that's why Jesus spoke about it so much, because he knows how much the love of money can grip our hearts and destroy our lives and our sense of well-being. Now, my own lived experience is that when you give your heart to God, when you give everything over to him, when you recognize that he is the owner and you are the steward, you will never lack. You will never lack. I mentioned earlier about the moment that I gave myself to materialism. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. So following university, I did a year with the church, a year's internship. And in part of that year, I got onto the subject of giving, giving to the church. And I hadn't really got my head around the idea of being paid by the church. I wasn't being paid very much. It was £4,000 for the year. But the whole idea of being paid by the church and giving back to the church. But of course, that was the wrong perspective, because actually it's all about my heart. It's to do with my heart. And I looked at the very, very well-known passage in Malachi 3 in the Old Testament, where God is speaking to Israel about tithing. Tithing, which means giving 10%. And I'll come back to that in, in a minute. But he says this to Israel. So I'll just read from 
from Malachi 3. So God says this to Israel. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house uh, because the Israelites were commanded to give 10% of their crops. But then God says something really astonishing. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. You know, if you're worried about giving this much away, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then all nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. It's just an amazing promise that he made to Israel. So I read that and I thought, okay, I decided to take him at his word and test him in this. So I started to tithe my income. 10%. 10%. It was only about £30 a month that I was able to give. So not a lot of money, but in my context, it did feel like quite a lot of money. But what it did is it totally changed my heart. And I really did lack nothing. I got through that year paying rent, running a car. I even went skiing and I broke even. And then the overdraft was gone in the next year. And that decision to start giving is what set me on a road in terms of an attitude to money, an attitude to giving, that's been a a source of huge blessing ever since. I've been blessed in amazing ways. And again, blessing is not about making you wealthy. And if God does make you wealthy, it's because he wants you to give more away. You know, we've not got lots of money. We're not rolling in money, but it's never caused us to compromise on our giving. And I don't say that to make myself look good, but to demonstrate that genuinely it is my experience that it is a blessing to give generously and to give sacrificially. It brings freedom. It brings freedom. I, I can honestly say we've never been without anything we need. And in addition to that, we are mightily blessed with what we have. And even at times when I've looked at the budget and I thought things are a little bit tight, I've honestly never worried about money. I've never worried about it. I have a confidence in God's provision because I've experienced his provision. You know, sometimes literally money coming through the door, but also in many different ways. Now, coming back to tithing, uh, some of you might hear that and think, 10%, give away 10%. You are crazy. You're kidding, right? Let me just say this. While tithing is clearly a, a biblical principle because it's in the Bible, There is nothing magical about 10%. It's not the mark of having arrived at generosity. You can give away a lot less than 10% and still be exceedingly generous in your circumstances. And equally, you could be giving 10% and still be fundamentally ungenerous and still gripped by the love of money because you might have capacity to give a lot more. And God might be asking you to give more, to be more generous with his money. The question is, what is generous for you? What do you have faith for? The New Testament guideline is simply to be radically generous, radically generous. C.S. Lewis, the Christian author, said, I do not believe we can settle on how much one ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, don't give God your leftovers if you happen to have any. No, you give sacrificially and you give to God first. That's what the New Testament teaches but also give out of what you have. Don't give in a way that gets you into debt because that's not good stewardship either. The point is this, God sees the heart. 
He sees your heart. It's not about a certain amount or a certain percentage. It is about a generosity of heart, which reflects a freedom from materialism and ultimately reflects a complete trust in God and in his provision. And that is where I believe the key lies to knowing financial well-being. You know, whether you're a Christian or not, it's just common sense that stewarding your money well is a good idea. Budgeting, saving, living within your, in your means. And, and I appreciate that is easier for some than for others. But I don't believe that true financial well-being and peace is possible without knowing God. Knowing that he is the owner and you are the steward. And knowing him as a generous and supernatural provider. One who wants to pour out blessings on you for you to know the life that is truly life, and for you to be radically generous with what you have, to be like a jug and not like a glass, giving generously, knowing you can never outgive God, knowing he's already demonstrated his abundant and lavish generosity to you by giving himself sacrificially on the cross to redeem you, to save you, to make it possible for you to know him and for you to live in true freedom, from the grip of materialism and the love of money. So do you know him? Do you know him? Do you trust him? God is not after your money. He's after your heart. So if you don't know him, give yourself to him today. Just go on, do it today. Give yourself to him. And if you do know him, give yourself to him again today and ask him, how do you want me to use your resources? What does giving generously mean for me. God has a plan for your well-being and that includes financial well-being and financial peace. So put your trust in him. Amen. Amen.